Jody Ambrosio joins me this morning, my longtime UConn broadcast partner. And when you look back over the last 35 or so years, there are few people at this radio station, not named Wayne, who have been on our air more than Joe D., who just had a significant career change recently. So, Joe D., you sleeping in these days. Are you catching up on uh, some lost sleep? You know, let me just say this. First off, it's good to talk to your partner. And secondly, I don't know how you and Ray Dunaway, who I worked with at TIC, obviously, have done it for as long as you did, because that's the one thing that crushed me was I could never get adjusted to, to not getting much sleep. Uh, so the first two days actually were difficult, and now since then I've, I've started to sleep a little bit later. But uh, I think it'll take a little bit of time to get used to uh, get used to a normal uh, a normal wake up time in the morning. I don't have the issue with the normal seven or seven thirty start times, but these nine o'clock things on a weeknight when I got to get up. Yeah, but do this. Don't be calling me this afternoon, Joe, because you know what I'll be doing this afternoon. You'll be sleeping very long and perhaps very loud as well. Hey, I mentioned the Seattle thing a moment ago. What are your memories of that trip to Seattle when we got snowed in? Well, I had two memories. Number one is I botched the call at the end of the regulation. I thought uh, I had the wrong guy making the shot. I thought Jerome Dyson made the shot that forced overtime, and it was A.J. And the other was driving back to the hotel after the game. I'm sure you've, you've relayed this, way, is that they can't use uh, they can't use stuff on the roads in Seattle um, because of environmental concerns. It goes into Puget Sound, so that's why they don't. Yes, yeah. So exactly. So we were driving up a hill, and the cars brakes and the cars brakes gave out, and we were sliding down this big hill going through this intersection. And I'm thinking, well, this isn't going to end well. But fortunately, we were the only two numbskulls on the road. I think, and we and the brakes hit. And then getting up every morning or going to bed at night and finding out that the airport was closed and flying home on what ended up being being uh, Christmas Eve, I think it was, or uh, December 23rd. So it was uh, it, that was a pretty memorable trip. Plus, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, there was either a bus, there was a bus that had gone off the, gone off the, the side of a high-rise highway and the bus was just hanging over there. We were, we were bored silly after the game because you couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything, and we we took we took long walks around town and stuff. And I remember seeing that. But those are those are my memories of that trip. Yeah, the bus had passengers on it, and it skidded on ice coming down a hill. And about the front third of the bus was suspended, hanging over the interstate. It was pretty scary as uh, they eventually were able to tow that bus out of there. And you know that just reminds me of some of the fun that we had on road trips. Some of the troubles we had on road trips, too. There's plenty of stories there. But I was thinking this morning about our drives to places like Seton Hall or maybe Madison Square Garden and the music. I remember Earth, Wind, and Fire, ELO. We'd be singing along on the Connecticut Turnpike. You know, it's funny. I've done quite a few stories since uh, my TIC time ended last Thursday. And yesterday I talked to Jeff, Dave Borges and, and Jeff Jacobs from Hearst Connecticut Media and Steve Barlow from the Waterbury Republican, and they asked me about strange trips. And, of course, I, the first, you know the first one that comes to mind. Pittsburgh. Yes, yes, I told them the whole Pittsburgh story, the exploding wallet in the... Uh... Well, you can't just say that. you got to explain what the exploding wallet is. So, so anyway, so we were, in those days, um, we would always fly out of New York. So we, and the TIC, WTC, limo was down. To, uh, to New York. 
So Art Ginsberg, who was our second engineer at the time, um, um, Wayne and I are in, in a limo, and we're flying down on uh, Monday, because I believe the game was Tuesday. So we get to Bradley, and the porter greets you there to take your bag. Or we, we flew to LaGuardia. We drive to LaGuardia. The porter greets you there and says, uh, you know, so you give me your airplane ticket so we can take your bags and check them in. So he comes back and says, oh, you're flying today. I said, yeah. So we went up, we go to the gate to check in, and in all fairness, the woman at the gate had, had a pretty nasty attitude. Um, so we get to the gate, and the tickets had been printed for the wrong day. Tickets had been fl- printed to fly on Tuesday, and we had to get to the game by Tuesday. So we were supposed to fly at 3.30. We didn't get a flight till 9.30. So we're stuck in LaGuardia for like eight hours. And I'm, I'm, I'm killing myself because I consider this my fault that I hadn't looked at the tickets, which it was. So we, we, we find some place to eat like three terminals away. It wasn't a five-star restaurant back in those days. This was 95. LaGuardia was pretty grungy. And I called the rental car in Pittsburgh, and I called the hotel in Pittsburgh and said, don't give our rooms today. We would always get, get two rooms. The play-by-play guy got one room, and, and Wayne and the engineer du jour had a share a room. Um, so we get to the hotel at like midday, midnight, and Art's out. We, you know, we park the car in front of the hotel. We tell Art to park it and bring the bags in, um, and you know, because we, we wanted to check in. So we go to the check-in, and I said to the, uh, to the, to the woman at the check-in, uh, two rooms for D'Ambrosio. So she looks, she gets on her computer and she looks and she goes, uh, one second, please. So she goes in the back and brings back some, you know, manager type and says, uh, unfortunately we gave one of the rooms away. Well, unlike now when my life is so much better and I, and I don't, you know, nothing, nothing phases me. I went off like a Roman candle. Uh, how could you do this? We've been traveling all day and I was still annoyed at myself. So finally there was no resolution. We're going to have to roll a cot into the room and three of us were going to have to sleep in the room. So I was just annoyed at everything in general. So I had my wallet out because I had used my credit card to pay for the rooms. And there were these big marble pillars in the face. So I, I just had to take out my frustration. So I reared back and fired my wallet. And you let, you described it as the two women behind the desk, their eyes, their eyes got as big as saucers because it sounded like gunshot. Um, and the wallet itself became shrapnel. You could not recreate that and have the things in your wallet go off in more directions than they did that night when you threw it at the pillar. Right. So I was walking out to get something in the car, and Art was walking in. And I, I just left the wallet there. I wasn't even going to pick it up. I was, I was so annoyed. And the, I think the funniest thing was Art, I would come walking back in, and Art is standing there with the wallet in one hand, and all the credit cards, which, as Wayne said, went like shrapnel uh, in the other hand. And then the other thing was, so we got up to the room, and, and I wasn't ready to go to sleep. The bar was still open, so I said to Art, I said, come on, let's go get a drink. So we go downstairs, we take the elevator downstairs, and there's a guy whose room had been given away. They probably gave us that guy's room, and the guy's mother and I said, yeah, I hate when that happens in hotels. So that was that was probably the, the most memorable uh, trip from a standpoint of, of stuff. And then you remember what happened in the game. Well, and that actually it plays a role in what happened last night with the UConn men because it's on the same kind of list that last night, down 18, come back to win, but in Pittsburgh, down 25 and come back to win on that very same trip. Donnie Marshall couldn't play. He had gotten ejected the game before for a fight with Charles Midland, 
from St. John. And when it's 40 to 15, there's a timeout, and I remember turning to you and saying, no, this has been a pretty good trip so far. But then Ray and uh, Kevin Ollie and, uh, and, and Travis Knight, uh, Brian Fair rallied the Huskies to, to win that game. But, yeah, that was a pretty uh, – that, that might be the most memorable trip. Yeah, they actually won the game going away. They won it by like 11 after trailing 40-15 to 15 in the first half. Jody Ambrosio, our guest this morning, who just had a bit of a career change. And I know a lot of people have talked to you about that, although I'm having a lot more fun talking about the old days. But uh, do you have any idea what's next? Is it going to be another radio gig? Is it going to be TV? Is it going to be sportscasting? Or are you just kind of waiting to see what develops? Uh, I'm going to wait and see, Wayno. I'm in no rush. To, uh, to make a decision. I have a, um, when you negotiate a buyout, you get, you know, a certain amount of, of months or weeks uh, of salary, and uh, we reached a, a good uh, agreement, so I don't have to rush to try to get uh, employment. I want to take a couple of months to, uh, to relax and enjoy life and, you know, uh, then figure out from there what, what's going to happen. So, no, I don't, I don't know what's next. I don't know if it's going to be sportscasting. I don't know. If it's going to be play-by-play, play, it might not necessarily be that. I don't think it'll be television um, uh, unless it's a part-time gig. But I'm, I'm not, you know, people people say retired, and I haven't. I've told everybody I'm recalibrating my career. I just decided that it was time to make a change um, for, for whatever reason, which isn't important now because it's almost a week old. Uh, what's important is that I, I feel good, uh, I'm, I'm happy, I'm healthy, knock on wood. And I'm going to take my time to decide what uh, what comes next. And full disclosure is that even though uh, we haven't worked together doing UConn games for a couple of years, two plus years, that we still are in constant contact. People ask me that all the time. And on top of that, that some of the sound bites that I play on Sports in the Morning come from you, and some of the sound bites you played on TIC on your morning sportscast came from me. We would exchange information, we'd exchange audio. It's just a you know symbiotic relationship. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're as good a friend as I have after, you know, I mean, we knew each other long before I started doing the UConn games because we were owned by the same company. And Mike Rice thought it would be a good idea when I started to meet you because you had already been in the business for, for seven years or so. And you, you had your, you had your life established at, at ILI. We became friends from there. And when, um, you had your voice issues and your shifts had to move around there. Uh, there was a couple of month period where I would do my my morning assignment and my midday show at WLIS, and then drive up to Willimantic to do the six or seven to midnight show spinning records. Well, you talked earlier this morning about how tough it is to get up in the morning after you've been up late the night before. Well, that's what you were doing for a couple of months, filling in for me. I mean, I know you were younger then, but how did you manage that? I thought about that a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I'm trying to figure out how you worked a full-time job in Old Saybrook and came up here and did the night show. Much younger than Wayno. Much younger. That's the only thing I could attest it to. Uh, you know, didn't need much sleep. Actually, I only worked till 11 um, at your place. So I was back in Old Saybrook by midnight, and I would sleep till till 5.30 and then get up and do the, do the sports at, 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 at LIS go home, grab breakfast, and take a quick nap, and then go back by 10.30 in time to do any production, and then my 11 to 2 show, and then I'd go home and chill a little bit more. So Amazing. And it was 40 years ago yesterday that UConn's men defeated Syracuse at the New Haven Coliseum. They beat him by like 21 points, and Chuck Alexinas and Corny Thompson had big games. 
That afternoon, I was in New Haven at the alleged best throat doctor in the state's office, and he told me, and I quote, you may never talk again. Now, as it was, I was off the air for three months. I would have been doing that game on the radio, but I couldn't do it. My voice was a foghorn and all that. And it turned out uh, I did talk again, so it didn't work out so well. So that was an emotional day for me. And then I started the following year full-time on the network with Marty Glickman. And let's tell some Marty stories. Marty was an amazing mentor for me and for you. He did the games four and a half years or so until he couldn't do them anymore, and that's when you filled in. Yeah. uh, I mean, I knew of Marty Glickman because I was a Giants fan, uh, still am a Giants fan, um, and Marty was the radio voice of the Giants and and clearly the greatest football broadcaster whoever whoever walked the planet. So when he got brought in to do UConn games, uh, and I got a chance to meet him, uh, we spent, you know, he, he asked me for tapes. He critiqued my tapes. He gave me stuff that I remember, you know, 40, 40 years later, 38 years later, as far as, uh, things to remember when you're, when you're doing a game. Um, it was, it was amazing. And he was, uh, he, he was, he was quite a guy. You know, I remember we flew down. I went as a spectator. To a Saturday afternoon game with Georgetown at the uh, at whatever the name of the arena was then USA Arena whatever, <clears throat> and the plane was late, uh, and it was me, you, and Turner Gill, and we got we rushed into the arena, uh, and Marty's on the phone doing the pregame show, and it was just that's who Marty Mar- was. Marty was Marty was fabulous. He had uh, he had a million stories. He was always he was always giving of himself. Uh, and it was just, it was just, you know, truly a blessing to have been able to, to able to meet him and learn from him. Yeah, we got delayed on that Georgetown trip because of fog. We took a, a twin-engine six-seater out of New Haven, and Marty had already gone on his own because he lived down in Scarsdale. But I want you to also tell the story about your daily tributes to Marty. The regular listener might not have known it, but I knew it, and you knew it. Every game, you would throw at least one, and sometimes more than one, Marty reference into a game. Yeah, you know, the black mid-court line or the blue mid-court line and just various, you know, just various phrases that I had heard Marty use uh, doing basketball, uh, I would throw those out or left to right across your radio dial. That was a, that was always a Marty, a Marty tribute. He was, he was the guy uh, for all the great broadcasters and he mentored so many of them, Johnny Most, Marv Albert, Bob Costas, people like that. I got another one for you, Joe. At the beginning of a game, you would say, just the start of things. Well, especially the second half. Just the start of things here in the second half. That was a, that was a, a Martyism. But he was the guy who created, um, who created the court geography. Uh, he, was, he was the guy who had, um, you know, left to right, uh, you know, top of the key, mid-court line, you know, foul line. It just, just, he, he created all the court geography. Um, and he's he's the guy we have to thank for, you know, for for all the things that that all of us who have done play by play over the years um, have 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 picked up on. So it, it was Marty, and getting the chance to to know him was uh, was really incredible. I, I got to tell you, I mean, it was for me, it was it was meeting a legend.
And amazingly, that legend of broadcasting did four and a half years of UConn football and men's basketball on the network and here on WILI. And you use that phrase, Joe, court geography. That's something you and I talk about a lot. A guy doesn't just hit a three. He hits a three from the right elbow or from the left corner, or he dribbled across the lane and passed it off to the right corner. Our job is theater of the mind. There's no TV for people to see. So we really work hard. And I can do that in my role as color commentator, too, where I can recap a play and explain exactly where on the court these things took place. I think a lot of broadcasters these days don't do that, and I think they should. Well, because a lot of the broadcasters now, I think, emulate TV broadcasters where that's overkill. If you do all of that on TV, you're talking too much. Um, so I, I, I agree. I think, I think uh, when you're doing radio, it was always said to me, when you're doing a game on radio, you should think you're talking to one person. Pick one person out in your life, and that's the person you're broadcasting for. And the idea is to give them as much detail about the venue as uh, as possible. So that's that's the important thing I think in doing the games, doing the games on radio, and also and also kind of knowing your role. You know, understanding what you what the play by play job, what the color job is, and and not stepping on not stepping on the person you do with. And I think, and I've heard this from a lot of people, I'm not just saying this, but I think our chemistry was as good as anybody who's, who's done who's done basketball and football on the radio. So, well, I appreciate that, but I feel the exact same way. Go make yourself a, what do you, you don't do coffee. What do you do in the morning? Oh, no, I do coffee now. Oh, that's a change from the old road trips. I, I, do, coffee, I do coffee now in the morning. I have, uh, I have been you know, swayed into the world of... Uh, coffee as i have another one of your favorite activities joe you have distinguished yourself as a great play-by-play announcer for uconn sports other sports as well uconn men's basketball uconn football but people also have heard you including on this station doing uconn hockey and you've also broadcast play-by-play of uconn baseball and i'm wondering all the sports you've done including you've done soccer here too uh which one do you like doing the best uh, I like baseball the best because it's the one I grew up with. Um, and plus baseball, um, the thing about baseball is it's a relaxed, um, it's a relaxed atmosphere. Uh, it's, uh, um, you know, you have time to tell stories and stuff. Um, I like them all. I really like hockey. I mean, I listened to a lot of hockey as a kid growing up and finally get the chance to do games and, you know, um, Kevin, Mike Kevin is such a great guy. Um, I really enjoyed getting to know him and becoming becoming pretty good friends with him. Um, but I, I mean, I like them all. You know, people ask me that all the time. Wayne, when it's, whatever season it is, I enjoy doing that those games uh, the most. So there's really there's real. I, I would have to say there's really no uh, one in particular that I that I liked better than the others. I, I thought they were all fun, and I thought in their elements they were all really good. Now, you and I were softball teammates for a while, but I'm wondering, are you a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of guy? Did you play, like, competitive sports? Were you on teams in high school? Or did you just watch them and then talk about them on the radio so well? I was a great schoolyard athlete, but at South Catholic in Hartford, where I went, we had really good teams. Um, so I was just uh, I was in the stands watching games and stuff. I was not, uh, I was not actually uh, an athlete in high school, but I always loved playing basketball. Uh, love playing baseball and then softball and, and football. I could never skate well enough to play hockey, but we used to play, we used to play hockey inside one of my best friend's cellars 
with golf clubs and golf balls, taking our lives in our hands. Yeah, I love playing. I love playing all sports. You know, I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And you know, I played softball not as long as you did, but I played softball for for quite a long time. And then just um, <clears throat> you know, and then just after that, just uh, transitioned into broadcasting. And that was my next question. What was the road from South Catholic into radio? Well, the first road was through the uh, aisles of the A and P in uh, Old Line. Uh, I worked there for seven years before I started in radio. Uh, I went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting, uh, the summer course back when it didn't cost a million dollars to go there. Um, and I learned the, I learned a lot of the ins and outs there. Um, but I think a lot of it too is natural ability. Um, I think you're either, you're either born to do, to do sports and life. So, um, I worked, I worked grocery stores. You know, I was the world's greatest bagger. In the in the grocery store in the and all line, you and Dave Letterman, right? He was a grocery store guy. But I think that was a great experience because it taught me hard work, and it also taught me the fact that um, um, you know, not, everything's not easy in life, and you have to, you know, there's you have to go through some, you have to go through some things to to get to uh, 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 and understand the, the value of hard work, and I think that really that really helped me. Uh, you know, and then uh, in, in 78, summer of 78, I got my first job part-time at uh, WLIS in Old Saybrook. I worked on Sundays first, or Saturdays first, and I worked Sundays and Saturdays. Then eventually in January of that year, or September of that year, I became uh, uh, I became full-time. Uh, they were working the midday shift. And then it went from there, and then uh, January of uh, 85, went to WPOP to, um, to do um, morning drive. And to anchor an hour of news with Delcy Mullen from noon to noon to one, and then when they got the when TIC got the UConn rights in '92, Arnold Dean wanted me to come over and do the games. And if I had if I if I didn't uh, accept their terms or things, Bob usually would have kept doing the games um, because they loved Bobby as well, but they wanted a different voice from the games being on POP. So that's that's pretty much the that's pretty much the career path. And you mentioned Arnold Dean, and he certainly was a big factor in my days working for TIC. But talk about you talked earlier about Marty Glickman being a mentor, and Arnold Dean was one too, wasn't he? Oh my God, yes, absolutely. He was a huge, uh, he was a huge mentor. He, uh, uh, you know, he was a mentor even before I started at TIC, and um, that that was something that I took from him in trying to help people either want to get into the business or. Who had just gotten into the business? I think it's important that when you've been around for a while, that you really reach out to people who want help, not people who don't want help, but people who want help. You uh, you, you give them as much help as you can, and uh, you know, and and educate them into the business and, and try to guide them. But Arnold was Arnold was phenomenal. Arnold could not have been uh, Arnold could not have been nicer. Jody Ambrosio left WTIC a couple of weeks ago, and we talked earlier about the uncertainty of his future plans. But I would like you to talk about what the last 10, 11 months have been like working at TIC. When was the last time you actually went into the building and talked to a human being? I can tell you that in two seconds here because I will look it up on my uh, on my uh, Andy desktop. Uh, the last day I was in WTIC, was March 20th, um, and then they locked the building down. So the next day, uh, I started doing uh, uh, I started doing the sports and co-hosting the morning show from there. 
uh, and I've been in the building. Uh, I have not been in the building. I've been outside the building twice since then. So, When you negotiated your buyout, was that all done remotely? You didn't do it face-to-face inside their building? No, nope, it was all done with Steve Salhaney, our ops manager, uh, over the phone and negotiating that way. So. So tell me about doing the morning show and doing the morning sports there from home. I've seen pictures. You post them once in a while on social media. But you, you have an interaction, like you did with me doing the UConn games, with Ray Dunaway. But yet you're at home, and I presume he's at home too. Uh, no, he, well, he went back in the middle of the, uh, at the end of the summer. Um, they, they changed policy a little bit and, and allowed Ray to go back, which was good. Um, but I have uh, I have a, a, a broadcasting unit. Uh, I would talk with our producer uh, down the line. Um, I would get sports clips, um, um, you know, from from various sources and stuff, including you. And um, it actually, you know, a lot of people a lot of people broadcast from home now. Are the other two shows at TIC are always done from home? The the midday show and the and the afternoon drive show. So. You know, um, it's becoming more, more, more. It's not as much fun. Um, it's a little more difficult because you don't have as much. Um, you can't see the person's face you're talking to. And we also loved uh, bringing guests in. You know, we have the governor every month, and we have, you know, we would like you did. We would do a lot of in studio guests, and of course, that's a, you know, that's passe right now, and who knows when that's gonna that's gonna become uh, normal again. How about from a non-professional standpoint, meaning non-radio standpoint, but just any stories that you have about the effect of COVID on your life and your lifestyle? I mean, the things that you did a year ago, you can't do now. Um, it, it hasn't changed it as much as I thought it would because um, I've been very careful and very safe um, to pick where I go and to choose what I do. Um, so it, it hasn't it hasn't affected my life as much as it as much as it's affected other people's lives. Flash me back to your days with Marty Glickman, which would be the early 80s, and he was going to be doing his fifth season. And then around this time of the year, he took ill and didn't come back. And you were the one who filled in for him for the rest of that season and then subsequently a couple of other seasons on the Connecticut Radio Network. But uh, I'm just curious what it was like for you to do your first UConn game, filling in, I presume, for Marty. Well, he had had an auto accident on his way to stores. Um, I think it was a U.S. international game. You kind of get U.S. international, but that's a little sketchy in my in my old brain right now. Um, so I was at the game, and I forget the exact way the communications went, but somebody said, can you do the game? I said, yeah, sure. No, I had done no prep. I had not, not done any um, – I had not done any uh, – you know, studying of U.S. international. I mean, I knew UConn because I covered them all the time. Um, and I actually think that might have been better because I didn't have a chance to get nervous. I had like an hour to get ready to do the game, and here I'm filling in for Marty Glickman. So so that happened a couple of times, and then, as you said, he took ill. Uh, and then the other time that I filled in for a long stretch was the 87-88 season when Bill <clears throat> Schweitzer uh, opted out early in that season, and, and I took over. Um, doing as many games as I could were not in conflict, conflict with my WPOP duties. And that, of course, was the season that Jim's second season when they won the NIT. But neither you or I were at the semifinals and finals. You were off on a trip in Africa. And uh, TIC had uh, had committed me 
or rather WPOP had committed me going to spring training covering the Yankees because we were a Yankee affiliate, and they wouldn't let me out of it. So I watched the NIT semifinals and finals from the from a, the, the, the dumpy motel in Fort Lauderdale where John Stashower did those games. With D. Rowe, D. Rowe, after they won it, his classic line, it's a magic carpet ride. Yeah, I'd already planned the trip to Africa. I missed the last three games, including that legendary VCU game at the Fieldhouse, where I think dust was still coming down five years later. But they hadn't been to postseason in six years. I thought mid-March would be safe, and they win the first game, win the second game. Uh-oh, i got a plane to catch. And uh, so it's funny how neither one of us were there after we did the, the games all season long. And let me turn the page over to UConn football. Obviously, they're trying to you know get back to the glory days of Edsel 1.0. What do you see as the future for UConn football, especially now as an independent? I think <clears throat> I think they have a chance to be good again because I think they're going to schedule intelligently. You know, one of the things during Randy's first tenure that they had an advantage with was because of the financial success. <clears throat> excuse me, of men's and women's basketball, they didn't have to take big buyout games. They didn't have to go to Texas for $1.2 million and get, and get, and get trucked. Um, so I thought that was, that was important. I don't think they'll, I mean, UConn obviously needs money, but I think they'll schedule intelligently. Um, I think this year off, uh, even though you always want competition, was helpful in order to reset the program. Because, look, <clears throat> he took over and he had a huge rebuilding job to do. We, we know what happened specifically the three years before he came back. Um, and there's no need to, to get into that. I've done that enough. Um, I think it's got a chance to get maybe not to where it was when they went to the Fiesta Bowl or, or won a couple of Big East titles. But, but I, think, I think there's a chance to, to get back and, 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 be, and be successful at a different level. People may forget that you, for many years, were also the play-by-play voice of UConn women's basketball. It got to a point where you just couldn't handle the travel between the men and the women. They would be in different towns on the same date and so forth. But I'd like you to just tell our listeners the story of the 2004 Final Fours, plural. Yeah, well, I was still doing the women's games then. The men had made it to the men's Final Four in San Antonio, the women had made it to the women's final four in New Orleans, and they were on opposite days at the time. So uh, you and I uh, flew to San Antonio, and I think, I don't remember who was our engineer at the time. I know Helmecki was with the women. I don't remember who was, the, who was maybe it was Andy Chan, Andy Chun. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but we, uh, we flew to San Antonio on Thursday. We went to the practices and the press conferences on Friday. Uh, did the game against Duke. On Saturday, a game you couldn't do because you were having voice issues, and Donnie Marshall <clears throat> filled in for you on that game. The men came back. Uh, that was a pretty significant comeback. They were getting trucked in the first half. Down eight with 2.40 to go. Yeah, did the game Saturday night. Um, got up early Sunday morning, took half my luggage with me because I knew we'd have another night in San Antonio, um, which was the plan all along. Uh, flew from uh, San Antonio to Dallas to New Orleans. Uh, got to New Orleans about two in the afternoon, sat outside for a little while to chill. I had already done my homework. Um, did the women's game that night on, uh, on, on, on Sunday night in New Orleans. They won. Uh, so I left the rest of the clothes there, got up early Monday morning, and I would always schedule the first flight out because that was the, you know, you didn't want to take a chance on postponements or delays and stuff. Um, 
flew from New Orleans to Dallas to San Antonio uh, Monday morning, did the national championship game, which was kind of anticlimactic because they whacked uh, Georgia Tech, who had beaten them earlier in the year. Uh, took all my clothes, had a drive to Austin Monday morning because there were no flights out of San Antonio, and that wasn't a short drive. Uh, flew from San, flew from Austin to Dallas to New Orleans, did the women's national championship game on Tuesday, uh, and then flew home on, on Wednesday. It was, uh, it was exciting, uh, because of the success of the teams. I'm the only person who was able to do, uh, to do both the men's and women's national championships in the same year, which was pretty, uh, which was pretty exciting. I really enjoyed that. Um, and, uh, you know, flew home on Wednesday and slept for a week, I think. And that Duke men's game in the semifinals, I, I was a foghorn that day, and I knew I couldn't do the game, but I had a little bit of voice at that point in time. So Donnie did my job. But I, they, they, after they had that incredible comeback, one of the most amazing NCAA wins UConn's ever had, uh, I went to the locker room and I got some of the players. I did three interviews that played on the air, and after the interviews played, Joe had the line, Wayne doing his best Kim Carnes imitation with that kind of raspy voice. That line, there was also the, the line at Pepperdine that I remember pretty well too, Joe. Yeah, the uh, Zuma Beach end of the Firestone, was it Firestone Fieldhouse? Uh, That's what it was. Yeah, because yeah. Marty... Because Marty, you know, that's another Martyism in a way, because Marty would always say, the Yanks have an end of Madison Square Garden. You know, so I would, uh, uh, so I came up with that for, for that. And then in, at the Hartford Civic Center, I would always say the uh, Ann Ucello end or the uh, Trumbull Street end of the building. Well, then we were at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, and they don't give us very good seats for those games. We're down close to one of the end zones, and you had a line before the opening kickoff where you said, Wayne is actually closer to the Monongahela River than he is to the 50-yard line. Those lines stay with me, buddy. So, hey, it's great catching up with you, and I think the listeners loved our stories. Joe, thank you very much. And I don't know where you're going to wind up next, but I wish you the best of luck, my friend. Mayor, thanks. Keep doing what you've been doing for 100 years. You're the best at it. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Joe D'Ambrosio, our guest on WILI.